So it's, it's summer in OIC, as I said before, and uh, that means we are reflecting on the Book of Psalms. We do this, we have been doing this for several years now, every summer uh, we do this. We take every Sunday one of the Psalms and spend some quality time with it. Yeah. Now the Book of Psalms, it is, it is a unique book in the Bible. And it is unique in that what it contains, what has been brought together and, and compiled as what we now call the book of Psalms, it is at the same time uh, prayers and songs to God. Because these are a collection of songs and prayers and chants that were written, that were composed to be spoken, to be used in prayer, to be used in the faith community and in the liturgical life and the festivity life of a community of faith. So they are at the same time prayer and song to God, but we believe them to also be revelation from God to us, and that's why we have them in the canon of our scriptures, because we believe that through them we can understand something of the revelation of God to us. So the, the Psalms have very clearly this double aspect, more than many other places in the Bible. And the Psalms take a whole range of human emotion and human experience, anger, joy, fear, despair, hope, and even the less popular stuff like vengeance, right? Vengeance and defeat. And it speaks of all of this, it speaks all of it into song and into verse and into poetry. Songs and verses that set all these things before God, at the same time allowing and sometimes even pleading that God will somehow speak in the midst of it all. This exercise of speaking to God in the hopes that God will also speak. And because of this prayerful characteristic of the Psalms, we read them, and, and the exercise we do is we ask ourselves if we may pray these Psalms as well. If it is proper that we make them ours. Now, some of them uh, come easier. And they very easily, or easier, e more easily, they feel at home in our lives and in our lips. And it feels fine. It feels proper to say them out loud. Others we struggle with. And I, I would argue that this has been true ever since the Psalms came out uh, and have been used in worship, prayer, meditation, and contemplation by different faith traditions, uh, not the least by our Jewish brothers and sisters long before Christ and Christians came around. I think this was the case. But our question as Christians is how do we engage with the Psalms as just that, right? as people of Christ, people of the Christ who came, became flesh, died, rose to life, and is present with the Father and is present with us by His Spirit. And this offers us a unique window and a kind of a key into the Psalms, but more than that, really, it it is not only a unique way of understanding the Psalms, but a unique invitation into the Psalms. Because Jesus alone, Jesus alone encompasses the whole Psalter. That's how we call the collection of Psalms, right? 
the whole Psalter, and Jesus alone can utter all of its words with authority and with knowledge. What I mean by this is that Jesus, who being human, the word who made himself flesh and dwelt among us, he took upon himself the wholeness of the experience of mankind. And with it, it's suffering and all the ways in which sin and death make their mark in our human experience. And so Christ knows intimately, not just abstractly as a concept, but intimately in his own self, in his own body, in his own heart and stomach. He knows the full range of emotions and struggles that are displayed in the Psalms. But Jesus also, the one who was one with the God self and is one with the God self. And being so can utter these words as revelation. Jesus, who alone is intimate, deeply intimate with the Creator's purposes and the Creator's ways, and if we believe Him to be in fact God, then that which comes from His mouth is revelation. And Jesus, who is of the same Spirit that is present in the inspiration of the psalmists as they wrote, making these words both inspired and His. Jesus, who gave himself in our place and welcomed us into his life, and not only us, something we tend to not always think about, but welcomed into himself all of those who have with him died and with him live, with all the complexity of their human experiences. So in our unity in Christ, we join also in the unity of the experience of all those who have been with Christ and are with Christ with everything that that entails. And so it is this Jesus who is from eternity and from Galilee. In this Jesus, these words and these prayers, they can be ours in our being in him. Be it when we reflect on our own struggles or joys or when they reflect the struggles and joys of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Or be it when we receive them as a graceful gift of revelation. In Jesus, the Psalms are ours, ours to pray in Him. This is a bit of, uh, of how, we, how I've been working with the Psalms through these years and also through, through the summer now. And today, I want to read with you Psalm 127. And Psalm 127, it is a psalm that is very, it's, it's dear to me. And I have actually, I have preached about it here before a couple of times. Uh, but I felt compelled to come back to it in this season of my life and of the life of OIC, uh, a season which is a season of change, a season of rebuilding or maybe regathering after years of pandemic, a season in the midst of the coming and going of people who are dear to us, and that's always the reality of OIC. We see people come, we learn to love them, we have to say goodbye, they go. And this does something to us, Right? A season of wanting to look forward and wanting to press forward. Yet a season when perhaps some of us struggle to find the strength and the hope to do so. While others, thankfully, infuse the community with their life and joy. 
So I want to read this psalm together with you. Psalm 127. And so sings the psalmist. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So sings the psalmist. This is a well-known psalm, at least for those of us who have grown in a Christian faith tradition. Uh, and the danger with well-known Bible passages is that we, we, we have a tendency to just brush through them, and we already have these connections <laughs> to what they are and what they mean. And we don't always give them proper time and attention and spend time with, how does this? So we don't allow them to speak always anew into our lives if we just brush through it. So here's what I would like to do for us today to sort of help us focus a bit and spend some more quality time with Psalm 127 and try to listen to it a bit more attentively. First, I want to say a bit about the manner in which we we often read this psalm. When I say we, I'm talking about sort of a wider tradition. It has often, I have often heard it preached about, it's been written about it in this way, I've seen it in services, uh, and I believe many of you will recognize that. Uh, and that is reading it in two sections or two stages or almost like two separate things, separate parts. Then I want to tell you about an important realization that I had in reading the psalm that allows me to read it as a whole to bring this together. And then I want to share about a reflection from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the psalm, and I'll say a bit more about him when we get there. And finally, I want to explore what happens then when we read Psalm 127 as, as a whole and in Christ, as we have been speaking about. So first, I want to talk about how we often read this psalm. And what we often do is we split it into two sections. The first section is comprised by verses 1 and two, and it deals with our projects, our projects, our plans, security. It seems to dwell, in a way, in the world of work. The world of work. The second part goes from verse 3 to 5, and it deals with children as a blessing from God. And it seems to dwell in the world of family. Now, the first part, as a consequence, it is often used when we engage in projects and plans. Right? We, we read it and think about our dependence on God, about the fragility of the material world and of our very lives. We read it maybe before we will start a new job, or we'll, we'll build a new church, or we'll start a new business. Maybe you've been in that kind of situation, right? We read it to evaluate if we have allowed our job to take too much space in our minds and in our hearts, leaving no space for, for spirituality, for God, and for meaningful relationships. Uh, very often we pray as a plea that God will allow our work to prosper, that she will bless it, that he will protect our life as we build 
and work and try to accomplish something. Also, that God may keep us from selfish and greedy endeavors that ignore God's will. So we read a psalm and we pray over it. We pray as a new semester begins in OIC, praying that we may grow, that new people may get involved, that our ministries may develop, that we may meet our budget, that people may find a place in our community, that this vacuum left in our ministries and fellowship by those who leave may not discourage us. Maybe you've heard this psalm being used in that kind of setting. And all of this is okay, and much of it can be good, but this is not all that the psalm has to tell us. The psalm goes on. Now, the second part is often read when we talk about family. In my family, where, where I come from, uh, this psalm has been read by my parents around the birth of each child. We're four. I'm the youngest of four. And, and the birth of each grandchild. I don't remember how many we are. There's some there. Uh, right? So this has been a, a psalm very connected to that. In OIC, we have often read it when a new child is being presented to the congregation in a blessing or in a baptism. So we read it as we look at how children have been a sign of God's blessing and grace in OIC. A very clear, visible, and audible sign of God's blessing and grace in OIC. And it's a big thing for us. We celebrate it, right? And we read it and we are reminded that we should receive, raise, and understand the children as such, as, as, as families and as a congregation, as a family in Christ. We read it and we are reminded that this means also that they ultimately belong to themselves and to God and, and not to us. And that we are but caregivers, caregivers of these children, even of those that we consider our own, even of those that I would call my own children. Now, reading these two parts of the Psalms in this way, it speaks, it speaks much to us. We, there's a lot there. So we may be tempted to just leave it at that. But what we may miss out then is the connection between these two parts. And one reason we may miss it out is simply uh, cultural and contextual. Our world operates very differently. Our world, I'm speaking about the Western world in a way, or, and I think that applies to a lot of other places in the world as well. But our world operates very differently from the world of the psalmist. Work is one thing, and family is another. And what connects them, as far as we're concerned, is often only money and resources. So we work to provide for our families, and we pay for our children's education so that they can stand on their own, provide for their own families, and eventually provide for us in our old age, hopefully. Or if we don't have children of our own, we might eventually turn the tables and start supporting our parents, or we might help out those friends and community that are our chosen family. Right, those we, we choose to hang around with and to be with and to have that connection with. Now, this makes some sense in the psalm. But for the context of the psalmist, this connection between the wor world of work and the world of family is much more explicit. Building the house from verse 1 meant building the family. 
The city itself was often understood in terms of kinship. We're talking millennia ago, right? In a very different kind of setting. The work was the work of the family. From a young age, the kids would work with their parents in the household and in the fields, and they were necessary labor for the sustainability of the whole family. And when things came to worse and there was war or conflict, the amount of fighting hands was not a commodity. It was crucial to survival. So not having children meant not being able to build and protect. In short, it meant not being able to do the things spoken about in the first part of the psalm. So these things are deeply connected. So children were not in that sense a different kind of blessing from from God's blessing over their work and endeavors. They were a necessary blessing for survival. And we know all of this if we stop to think about the difference in context. But the thing is, and this is where I want to get at, (laughs) and this is the important realization that helped me be able to read this psalm as a whole in the context of our lives. The thing is, children are only very slightly under our control. Children are only very slightly under our control. As far as we have come with reproductive techniques, we still cannot fully control the generation of children or what happens around there. And once they are born, we can be the best parents in the world, and still we will not be able to control what goes on in our children's minds, in their decisions, or what may or may not happen to them. We can be uh, the most child-centered congregation in the world, with the best kids program and the resources and the passion, and still we will not be able to control how their spiritual life or their relationship to God would go. We shouldn't really, but that's not my point right now. Uh, We can't really control what will happen to them or what sort of decisions they will make as they grow. So we talk about the need of God blessing and being the foundation Uh, of our projects and our plans, of our building houses and working. But for me as a father, myself, nowhere else is it so obvious. Nothing else is so much ours and yet not ours at all at the same time as our children. I think we would be insane to pretend that we have full control of this. I think we would be in the best case scenario naive and worst case scenario just plain liars if we looked at our fully grown, healthy and successful child and said, I did this. I did this. If we looked at, you know, the kind and thoughtful youth who grew up in OIC and said, we did this. That's just not how it works. We just do not have that level of control. It's one of the hard things about being parents. It's one of the hard things about going about in the world. We do everything as best we can. Who saw corona coming? And this is true of all of our endeavors, of course, everything we do. 
not only of child bearing and child upbringing. It's just that the obviousness of it in this case brought it home to me that we just do not have that level of control. And I believe the psalmist knew that. So the psalmist turns to God. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches, unless the Lord blesses, it is in vain. It is in vain. Yet there are different ways in which we may think that something is in vain. We may consider it in vain, all the work, all the effort towards our families, towards our works, towards all of these things. We may consider it in vain because our house is robbed, wiped clean, all gone. We may consider it vain because our car is wrecked in an accident. We may consider it vain because our child goes astray or loses its life early. Or it may be in vain because our house is a mansion, our cars are many, our children are well-educated and financially successful, yet there is no kindness, there is no love, there is no justice, there is no mercy, there is none of the marks of the will and the presence of God. In the language of the psalm, God has not built. And with death, time, disaster, or decay, nothing will remain because God has not built. If we return to the psalm, it does not say unless the Lord, the Lord blesses the building. It says unless the Lord builds. What does it mean that the Lord builds? And what does it mean then that it is not in vain? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German Lutheran priest uh, during the period of the Second World War. Yeah. And uh, when he was preaching to, and he was part of the resistance church who resisted uh, the Nazi occupation and ideology. Because unfortunately, a big part, a big chunk of the church just went along. It was those who didn't. And Bonhoeffer, preaching to a Germany struggling to, to rebuild after the World War, he reminded them that when we humans speak of vanity, we speak of time. We, when we say something was in vain, we meant that it was destroyed in time. When we say something, that something was not in vain, we mean it, lasts, it lasted in time. But God... Bonhoeffer says, God builds always for eternity. And it is in eternity that what God builds lasts. Eternity not just as that which comes after, which we often think of, talk about eternity as that which comes after, but eternity as that that was from before, will be after, and is beyond. And sometimes touches the constraints of our time. Many a building and empire that had nothing of God's blessing lasted and lasts long in time. But what marks do they have 
in eternity? What remains of it in eternity? Many a building that God has blessed has not lasted in time. All the churches we read about in the New Testament, they're gone. But what remains of it in eternity? Many a martyr lived a short life in vain for his time. But what remains of this blessed life in the reality of eternity? Well, the Son of God, Christ himself, was born poor, lived with nothing to show for the riches of this world, died the death of a thief and a traitor. By all measures of success that we ascribe to nowadays, he was a failure. Yet was it in vain? Is it not in him that lies the keys of eternity? Is it not in him that our very lives can be built in eternity and whatever we engage in can be built into eternity? So we turn full circle to where we're talking about in the beginning, right? What happens if we read this psalm with and in Christ? What happens when we walk into this space of prayer, knowing just how limited we actually are in our control of things, but wanting to build for eternity? What does it mean? But it means that that which Christ builds is eternal. And that which we build in Christ is guarded by him for eternity. When Christ builds in us and us in Christ, we do not labor in vain, in vain for eternity. Even our projects, even when blessed, as we often would describe them, they are doomed to destruction at some point, right? But not that within them that was built for and by Christ. Mercy, grace, love, reconciliation, forgiveness. These things are built in Christ and by Christ are guarded for eternity. If we want to do an exercise of what this means practically, our, our physical house, house we live in, it's doomed to decay and destruction at some point. But the manner in which we build it, do we build it with righteous wages to the workers? Do we build it with proper care for creation? The manner we feel it. Do we feel it with stuff or do we feel it with laughter? Do we feel it with joy? Do we feel it with hospitality? Do we feel it with mercy? These things, probably calling them things is even an offense. <laughs> These realities, they are built in Christ and are guarded by Him for eternity. The money we earn with our jobs is not destined to last. And it's hard to assess what of the result of our job actually will last in time. 
But the manner in which we go about it, the manner in which we use this money, the manner in which I work and am at work have the potential to be built by and in Christ and by Christ guarded in eternity. Is there kindness? Is there generosity? Is there grace? Is there justice? Is there care for creation and for our fellow human beings? Are those things present in the way we use our resources and the way we work? And if OIC will suddenly shut down for whatever reason, we ran out of resources, everybody moved away, I don't know, for whatever reason, would we consider this project a failure? I have often considered that. I'm sitting there, I'm looking who comes and goes. You know, I'm sitting with Andreas and crunching numbers and being like, yeah, this does not look good. Has it been in vain? Has it been a failure? Or have we built for eternity in each other's lives? In the lives of all of us who come and go? Maybe don't even stay long enough to build something lasting in time, but can build something lasting for eternity. OIC may not last as an institution. It will not. It's a matter of when, not of if. It certainly won't last in the grand scheme of things that last in time. Right? Rome fell and is now history. But what in that which lasts long or not in time, what within that lasts in eternity, touches eternity? And it is not that the blessing of God upon our endeavors is not real. It's not, it's not that God can't bless us materially or all that sort Sure. But those things are just a, a foretaste, a witness to a deeper reality with roots into that which is eternal. And our call as Christians is to grasp the roots, to speak of the roots that go into eternity, to sing of them, to struggle for them. God's blessing over our present lives is just the smell of the banquet that we will enjoy in his presence when the reality of his eternal kingdom is fully revealed. But that's the air we want to breathe. Do we labor in vain? Do we meet in vain? Do we love in vain? Do we work in vain? Nothing of the concrete things we build and do will last in time. But eternity can be present and how we go about it. And suddenly this psalm is about much more than children and towers. It's about life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face 
towards each and every one of you. And may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve each other and serve the Lord joyfully. Amen.